the book of Romans never really finishes with you. And, and I, as we're getting into this now, we're now six chapters in or starting to be six chapters in. It feels that way more and more. So let's go ahead and open up this morning to Romans chapter 6. And we're going to read all of Romans chapter 6 today. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up. If not, it is on the screen and you can follow along there. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he or how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's go ahead and go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you so much again for this day. I thank you for this word. And I thank you for a newness of life that we can walk in that comes only through Jesus Christ. Father, as we, we hear this word and as we, we study it and as, as I proclaim it, I pray, Lord, that you would just put me aside and that it be you. Um, that I just be the, the tool in your hand to proclaim the truth you would have us to know. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's kind of interesting as I look at this and I see, starting off here in, in verse 1, what shall we say then? So it kind of takes us back a little bit, right? That then, therefore, these are all those remind you to go back and look a little bit beforehand. Because Paul's doing a lot in this chapter, and he's, he's really kind of breaking down some of the stuff that's happening in, in chapter 5. So I'm going to just real quickly before we really dive into this, jump back to verse 18 of chapter 5 and, and kind of read through there, kind of leading us into what happens here in, in chapter 6. And, and Paul starts with verse 18. He says, Therefore, which tells us to go back and look again, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means, is what he's getting at. So, so Paul's taking us back and he's reminding us that what he talked about in chapter 5, that, he's, that, that we were born of Adam, and Adam had sin, and that sin comes to us, and it's in our nature, it's in the bloodline. And here, we're starting to look at the grace, though, the grace that is this gift. And like I said, Paul's doing a lot in this chapter, and he's taking a, a lot of time to do a lot of teaching. There's, there's, there's doctrine here of, of baptism, there's doctrine here of justification, there's doctrine here of sanctification, and we have Paul assuring us of the triumph of the grace of Jesus Christ over the power of sin in our lives. And, and what we think about here with this was baptism. I think of those words um, that he says here in, in verse 4, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. That, that tends to be kind of um, quoted or, or paraphrased a lot when we have baptismal ceremonies, or we have baptismal services anyway, that you, know, you, you take the person, you dunk them, and you say, buried in his likeness, and then you bring them up, raised to walk in the newness of life. And, and we say that because there's meaning there. See, baptism is this, is this powerful picture of our union with Jesus Christ. It shows to the world our connection to Jesus. It shows that we, we have died with him, and we have been raised to walk in the newness of life that he provides. 
It's an object lesson. It's this visual demonstration of the doctrinal truth of our union with Christ. It represents our death to ourself and the birth to something new. It tells everyone we identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's amazing to think that around the world, as we, we think about baptism and, and how, how, how deep that meaning is, you know, there, there are people around the world that when they get baptized... Because they are genuinely, they, they genuinely believe that, that in that union with Christ, they become something new, that they get a new name. They change their name at their baptism. Or, or the folks who you think about in, in parts of the world where when they proclaim publicly through baptism their union with Jesus Christ, that their family disowns them. That it's not a, a small thing when we take the time to be really considering our union with Christ. And we remember our baptism here. Now Paul isn't writing this to specifically teach about the doctrine of baptism in this chapter. But he's reminding us that our walk with Christ remember, is about remembering our own baptism. That it's about remembering that glorious union with Christ that it represents. That it's not just something we do and we move on. It's not a one-and-done thing. That it's a, it's a continual reminder of that in our life. Everything about our Christian life flows from our union with Jesus. Our biggest benefit, our biggest gain, everything that we get from our salvation, it, it's think the, the biggest chunk of that gift is Jesus Himself. And it's a reminder of that for us. And so in, in chapter 6 here of, of Romans, Paul is breaking down this idea of sanctification in Christ. Now, that sanctification, that's one of those great $3 words. Right? But what it really means is, is it's the process of growing in our Christ-likeness. Right? That, that it's, it's interesting. We don't, we don't get saved. We don't accept the free gift of eternal life through Jesus. We don't accept the justification that he brings, him counting us as sinless. We don't, that doesn't just happen and then all of a sudden, boom, we're automatically Christ-like. Man, wouldn't it be nice if it were that way? <laughs> but it's not. It's, it's a process. And sometimes it's a slow process. And there are times that it feels like it's a quick process. And then it's, slow, that it's this process that we go through as we remain here waiting for eternity. But as we grow, and as Paul teaches us as we grow, he gives us some things we got to think about here. He's going to give us five truths about that sanctification process that we must know. And then he gives us three actions that we have to take. So let's jump right in here. Let's, let's get into these truths we must know. I, I, this, this verse 1 and 2, just really, I love it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Uh, Paul is, is rejecting this idea that the grace given to us in salvation is a license to sin. It, it, it's, it's really quite the opposite as, as Paul is, is teaching here. This grace that we have been given to us gives us many reasons to not sin. And to strive to live a life that shows our union with Christ. And so the first thing we have to remember is what he says here in verse 2. We died to sin. 
we get the question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Died to sin means that the sin has been vanquished. The tyrannical, dominating power of sin that that held us before Christ was in our lives, that, that hold is now broken. We no longer are under the curse of Adam. Remember back in chapter 5 that Adam is the one through which sin entered into the world. And that Adam is the one whom which sin entered into our lives. That Because we are born of Adam, that bloodline brings that sin to us. We talked about this this morning that, that you don't have to teach a toddler to, to lie. Toddlers know how to lie instinctively. I'm not saying that they're not cute and they're not adorable and they're not great, but, but they lie. Leah and I watch a video to talk about this. We, there's this little video of this little boy. He's about 18 months old, maybe. And his face is covered in candy sprinkles that mom was going to use for something. And she's got him on tape. Johnny, did you eat the sprinkles? No. He's got sprinkles all over his face. Are you fibbing to mommy about eating the sprinkles? No, mommy, I would never fib to you about eating the sprinkles. There's sprinkles on your face, and the sprinkle jar is almost empty. But the sprinkle jar is not empty, and, and, and I didn't eat the sprinkles. Like He just continually goes on and on and on, lying about the sprinkles. He's in sin, right? It's in his nature to do this. But when we have Christ in our lives, that hold is broken. We're no longer under the curse of Adam. We are now united to Christ, and we get all of his blessings. We die to sin when we become a Christian. The saving grace of God makes us new. It says goodbye to the world of sin. Now, this doesn't make us incapable of sinning. Boy, that would be nice too, wouldn't it? When I get Christ in my life that, man, now I don't have to, I can't sin anymore. No, I wish. That's not how it works. But our relationship, our relationship with sin has changed forever at that point. Sin is no longer our status. It's not our state of being anymore. When we have that relationship with Christ, we cannot and we do not want to go back to that way of life. We have changed. The second thing that we see here is the truth we have to know is that we died with Christ in baptism. Now, Paul explains here that we have died to sin. Paul reminds us that there's absolutely no incompat- or that there's, there's no compatibility between baptism and living in sin. Now, Paul's not equating baptism to salvation here. I, I want to make that clear as well. But when we were baptized into Christ spiritually, when we were immersed in Jesus spiritually, we were baptized into his death. We, we, we became a part of that. It's part of our union with Jesus. So if you think that grace is this license to sin, you've missed what it means to die in Christ. Because a Christian doesn't mean adding a little something new to your life. It means that you've become a brand new creature. You have a new personal identification in Christ. And and that new identity involves dying with Christ. Pastor Tim Keller says it this way, that, that when we believe, we are united in Christ so that whatever is true of Him is now legally true of me or legally true of us. 
since Christ died and dead people are freed from sin, so we are freed from sin. This is a great reminder to us that sin has no hold over the Christian. Third, we share in Christ's resurrection. Right? Verse 4 and 5. We are buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Right. Verse 4 tells us that we are buried with Christ, that we have shared in Christ's death. And burial is a visual symbol of the end of life. I've stood there on a couple of occasions and watched the box being lowered into the ground. It doesn't get any more final for us here on earth than seeing that. It's that moment you know this is for real, that it's over, that it is definitely the end of life. We cannot go back to our old way of life. Because that old way of life is dead and it is buried, it is finalized when we have Christ in our lives. We are buried with Christ, but for another reason though. Right? We are buried in Christ so that we may walk new in the newness of life. That we can walk in a different path. Right? That's the res- power of the resurrection. That, that Christ died, was buried, but He came back. We die to sin, bury it, and then come back in newness of life. What God did for Christ in raising Him from the dead, He also does for us in our conversion. God liberates us from the power of sin, and He gives us a new resurrection life. Verse 5 kind of speaks of that end-time resurrection, right? There's the use of the future tense, we shall, in verse 5. We shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Meaning when we share the benefits of Christ's resurrection now, we have that power over sin, we have the power over death now, but we also wait for the consummation of all of this grace later. Because we are united with Christ, we can have assurance that we will be raised from the dead because we are united with Christ. And we have that resurrection like His. A bodily resurrection to come later at the end of time. The fourth thing we, can, we need to know about ourselves is that our old selves are crucified with Christ. Verses 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Our old, unconverted selves were crucified. Right? We, we used to be an Adam. And who we used to be in Adam, that individual was crucified. So that our body that was enslaved to sin would be brought to nothing. 
made nothing so that it can be made new. See, if you're a believer in Christ, you are no longer enslaved to sin. Sin's power has been broken. And, and we should realize that this, this, there's this new freedom from sin. And a freedom not just from sin, but a freedom for righteousness. And that freedom for righteousness, that should characterize us as a Christian. For the one who has died has been set free to, from sin. Set tells us that, that those who have died in Christ have been set free from sin's tyranny. We don't have to worry about it. It's not hovering and hanging over us anymore. It, I like how, how Dr. Tom Schreiner says it this way. He says, justification cannot be separated from sanctification. Only those who have died with Christ are righteous and thereby enabled to conquer the mastery of sin. We cannot be made new in Jesus without being made new in Jesus, right? Justification means that we have been declared right before God because of the work that Jesus has done. And so when we are declared right before God, then, then we are then made new. And it's that process of sanctification, again, that, that growing more Christ-like. When we are united with Him, when we are taken in by Him, He stamps it paid for. And then we are becoming more and more like Him because He is now in us. And we have that mastery over sin. The fifth thing that we need to know is that we will also live like Christ. Verses 8 and 10, or 8 through 10. Now, if we have died in Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin, once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Christ in Christ Jesus. In verse 11, he says that. But, but when we think about that, we live for Christ and we live with Christ. We're unified there. There's this, this reemphasizing of what has been previously said, that, that dying with Christ entails rising with Him too, and that we are spiritually alive now in Christ. And we will be physically raised later. Right? In verse 9, we see that, that Christ's resurrection means that he, we, he will not die again. Jesus has triumphed over death. Because He has conquered death, we who are in Christ will also conquer death. What is true of Christ is true of His people. Sometimes I think we forget that. That what is true of Christ is true of His people. That, and what that would mean for us. That if we can say that that is true of Jesus Christ, then we need to be able to say that it is true of us because we are now united with Him. We are in union with Him. And that means we are becoming more like Him. Verse 10, we see that, that Christ's death and resurrection formed this, this climatic, non-repeatable action. Right? Where, where Jesus was removed from sin and given a never-ending, incorruptible life with God. Now, he already had 
that. Jesus was, was never in sin, but he was surrounded by sin while he was here on earth. But he was in his death and resurrection and in the ascension, he was removed from that surrounding of sin. And think about that incorruptible life with God. That's what's awaiting for us. As is, is Paul's talking about that, that resurrection that is to come, not just the resurrection life that is here, but, but that resurrection life that is to come, that incorruptible life with God that never ends. To, to, to worship with Him and to worship Him throughout all eternity. To think that 10,000 years will be like just a few minutes. It's amazing to think that. But that's what awaits us. Those are the benefits, the truths that we need to know about Christ and our life with Christ. And then beginning in verse 11, we start to see some, some imperatives. Now, imperatives are kind of a weird word. Like think back to fourth and fifth grade grammar class. I know. Not exactly my favorite thing either, but but it's kind of remember to, to think back to the, the the four types of sentences, right? And and imperatives are these requests or commands that require us to take some sort of action. And Paul starts to 